And welcome to Triple H 100.1 FM. You are listening to Alexi Boyd's Small Biz Matters People, Policy, Purpose. And uh, it's very exciting today to be welcoming into the studio Murray Herps, who is the Director of the Startups part of UTS, the University of Technology, Sydney. We're going to be talking today all about the tech startup world and how they interact with government and what they need to succeed. We know that they, the small businesses which are part of startups are a bit of the darling of the government industry policy. It's fast paced, it's fast growth, it's an exciting world filled with hardworking entrepreneurs. They tried to woo this sector by encouraging private investment, boosting funding and creating new opportunities to rapidly grow the sector. But how does the government talk to the sector and find out what they really want? How is the sector represented and who are their advocates? Well, Murray Herps is the Director of Entrepreneurship, but he's got a lot of roles supporting and advocating for the sector to government and also into state governments and maybe even local governments too. UTS is a leading the work it is leading the world in terms of uh, startups and creating a nurturing community where these businesses can flourish. We're going to be speaking to him after this. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, a show where we are dedicated to empowering small businesses and advisors to engage with policy and advocacy. Why? Because what government does very much matters to all small biz, good and bad. Sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office, each week we sit down with experts, advocates, business leaders, policymakers and politicians to dive into specific areas of government policy that affects your clients and your business. We'll give you the heads up on what's coming down the policy pipeline. Find out who's fighting in your corner and empower you with ways you can influence those decisions which affect your business every single day. We proudly broadcast live on our local community radio station, Triple H 100.1 FM, the community broadcasting network, and later wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's hear from this week's expert on Small Biz Matters. People, policy, purpose. And that's right, you're live in the studio again with myself, Alexi Boyd, and we're very proud to be welcoming Murray Herps, who is, I'm going to say, a giant of the startup world, although he will absolutely not accept that title whatsoever. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the studio, Murray. Wonderful to be here with a fellow giant. A fellow giant. We can be giants together. Yep. And look, what um, I, I first came across you when I went to a conference uh, for AIIA. Can you remind me again what that acronym's for? Uh, Australian Information Industry Association. That's right. And you were on the board and representing um, the startup community, of course, and, and really speaking on behalf of the industry as part of that association. And what I found astounding was that um, – you were running around doing stuff. You were not sort of behaving like a typical board member who stands on the sidelines. You were in there getting your hands dirty, doing the technical things and making sure that everything ran smoothly. Fast forward, I think, six or seven years later and a couple of weeks ago, you were part of the launch of the Startup Muster Annual um, Survey, which has taken a couple of years off, but it's just recently been launched. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And you were standing on the sidelines, basically running the whole thing, uh, but also making sure that everything ran smoothly. So things don't change, but um, you continue to be such an important force um, and a, a driving force for for startup community in Australia. So firstly, thank you for the work that you do for that um, small business community. Oh, thank you. And I feel exactly the same about everything I've seen you do. <laughs> and welcome to Triple H, which is my, my, my baby, my radio station, where I where I first uh, grew my advocacy legs. So tell me a little bit about what 
got you immersed in this world? You've got obviously a tech background. Why uh, take the step into advocacy and move away from sort of, you know, a J-O-B? Okay. So basically I was a, a strange child. Uh, I liked uh, writing software, Went, lived out on acreage out at Box Hill. My brother's an incredible dressage rider, uh, Luke, if you're listening, uh, and kind of Olympic level, wonderful. I didn't Ooh. want to compete with him. Uh-huh. So I sat indoors and played on computers. And, <laughs> you did the opposite. Yeah. And it, it worked out okay because I then through a few different things, developed a bit of software that I put online, people started paying for it. And then you have a reason to turn this terrible software into better software. Mm-hmm. So that was 14 years of my life. That uh, was an ad blocking product, but it grew to a hundred million users. Uh, and this made me love this as a pursuit. I thought the only people we worked with were people overseas. And so I ended up traveling around for a bunch of it as well. Um, Literally one company in Sydney that we worked with in the 14 years. And then thought, why isn't there more? Why aren't there more people using the technology we have access to, to create their own jobs, create interesting things for Australia? And so that's been the last 10 years of my life. Wow, that's fantastic. And so where did you take the step into running the UTS Startup Hub? Because that's that's hugely successful. People who are part of that community rave about it and they really enjoy and feel very nurtured and supported in their in their tech, you know, growth. Why did you move into that space? So I uh, started out thinking uh Actually, there was a space called Fishburners that was just starting up at the time and walked in there and saw here's 30 people just like me all doing interesting tech I found my tribe. I know. It was really weird. Um, And then got more involved in that, more involved. It had problems as a a not-for-profit does uh, and decided to step in and help that along. So as kind of unpaid CEO to figure out, okay, this is almost insolvent. Let's turn it around and and grew that to 750 desks in Sydney, Brisbane and Shanghai. Wow. uh, Kind of big spaces for all these startups across Australia and China to start to come together. Uh, Was starting Startup Muster, the biggest survey of startups in Australia. That was 10 years ago. And that was because there wasn't good data on startups in Australia and tried to do it officially through different parts of government and then said, no, we'll just do it ourselves. And then Westpac running their accelerators and then UTS uh, as kind of next step because I've been looking for these levers to pull to help more people do this kind of thing. And UTS is easily the largest lever I've been able to find so far. It's so fantastic to hear someone who has got lived experience. I I can't, it's kind of one of those terms that gets bantered around by government a bit too much. But this is a really good example of someone who has lived it, breathed it, 14 years of your life dedicated to a single, uh, I guess, single piece of research and a single product. So you know what those people are going through and you know the highs and the lows and the difficulties they face when things don't go so well. How do you, um, in all of those different organisations that you've worked for, how do you get through those times when people are really struggling and leaning on you for a little bit of support? This is the thing, you would see this all the time as well. I don't like Shark's Tank or kind of variations of that where they put people up and kind of treat them as people that have to compete unnecessarily for support to continue what they're doing. Isn't that just venture capitalism though? Like It doesn't have to be. It should be where are the opportunities and being involved in those opportunities and not the kind of artificial disrespectful treatment of people that are putting everything on the line really to pursue something. Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, as you mentioned before, the, the J-O-B job path is very tempting and the opportunity cost of not having that and not having career progression and not having safety in what you do is massive. And so seeing that 
through thousands of startups at Fishburners and at UTS. We've had 1,200 startups in five years. Uh, really kind of sinks in uh, what these people are going through. The, the thing that keeps me awake at night is one person having a bad experience, a particularly bad experience, and having to deal with that. So uh, it's wonderful to be able to help people have good experiences and make sure that there is a safety net around them, there is a community around them, there is funding made available on terms that are reasonable uh, and help them create the wonderful things that they can. And is that the formula for a great startup, to have the funding, to have the supportive network? Um, is that what you keep on trying to produce with each of those organisations that you have a touch on? It's it's really hard. Like, <clears throat> I think there is a, a kind of company that makes sense in the economic climate of Australia. So imagine that kind of crop that is suited to the environment here. And it's not the same kind of crop that works in other parts of the world. Mm. And I think if people are looking at what to start, looking around your area for examples of people like you with your background, your skills, your enablers that have done something that you want to do, mm. that is the kind of company that people should be starting. Uh, and I think it's tricky because people don't tend to want to start those kind of companies. People get motivation from working on something they like or solving a problem they care about, not from doing the thing that really makes a lot of sense. So you have to encourage that enthusiasm, but then temper it and direct it into things that are more likely to be successful. So you need to explain that at the end of the day, you do need to create a business that is viable and is going to support you um, and possibly grow. And there has to be a balance between what you're really super passionate about and a product that people will buy. Definitely. Because mm. I love boring companies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you do too, because they tend to be like not massively competitive. There's not a kind of line of people trying to do the kind of shiny thing. And I think if you're the kind of person that can force yourself to do the slightly boring thing that other people are not doing, that tends to be a, a good sign in what entrepreneurs are then capable of as well. That's clearly where you've had that longevity within the industry because you yourself haven't burnt out <laughs> because you can see that there's got to be that balance between the fun, fast-paced, exciting, this is what I'm really super passionate about, I'm going to save the world product and also the I need to put food on the table product and you're helping people and guiding people through that. Have you taken the same approach to actually running the organisations where, sure, you know, somewhere like Fishburner sounds really exciting, but like you said, there's, you know, there's some realities there. You've got to make sure it can stand on its own two feet. Do you take the same approach with the organisations you run? That's the thing. It's the higher kind of potential for a company, the less chance there is of that realising that potential. Mm. Like it's unavoidable as a thing. So if you're aiming for that venture capital dependent high growth, high risk company, you have to realize you've got a fraction of a percent chance of that actually working out. And are you okay with that? So if we were to take a purely capitalist view, um, really it's, it's, it's make or break. It's do or die. Either these companies succeed or they fail and they may move on to new ventures or they may go, go and get a J-O-B. But um, what is it that the government can do to support that industry? Because it's really critical, isn't it? It's critical for our growth, entrepreneurship, new products, um, just to have innovation. I mean, that to me, the startup world is the definition of innovation. So what is it that you expect from governments to do to support the industry to grow and to keep growing? Okay. If I was prime minister for a day, yes. uh, I would be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I would do things. You look at the books and you go, oh my God, what's going on here? (laughs) Because uh, you look at other environments around the world, the largest lever they can pull easily is immigration. And that's obviously a, a deeply unpopular thing. If you open the borders and let in millions of people, you reduce the cost of technical talent in particular, and you create a lot of people that are trying to create their own jobs. And that works well in other parts of the world, in Israel, for example, uh, in, in the kind of massive Russian immigration that happened mm. there. Um, but if you do that here, you get voted out. So that, that is a, a lever that can only be pulled a small amount. And uh, you look at, look at uh, global talent scheme visas and other things where there's been a very targeted approach, and that's been good. Uh, I think the safety net that people have is important. So uh, around... California, for example, if you're ambitious and you fail, you go and work for Google or Facebook or someone else. If you're ambitious and well, sin- if you're ambitious and you fail, you go and work for the big JOBs. Yeah, you can go and get a job relatively easily that will pay relatively well, and it's a badge of honor to have done something that kind of succeeded a little bit and then disappeared. But in Sydney, if that happens you default on your mortgage and go get a job at a bank maybe if you're lucky mm. and uh, and get kind of looked down on as a failure. So. so we don't have a strong big tech sector that supports those who try and fail. So does that mean that um, there's no encouragement to really go for it because there's no safety net? Uh, I think it's definitely different here. And I'm seeing this at the moment as cost of living goes up and early stage funding is being pulled back. So the very risk tolerant angel investors, like all the dentists and things that used to hang around places like Fishburners, they're not there anymore. Dentists. Yes. Right. Dentists were extremely common wow. at Fishburners for some reason. Um but that very risk tolerant supportive capital is not there anymore. So what's happening now is people are getting to customers quickly or disappearing which creates a very different kind of company. They will use the customers to grow. They'll maybe get a private equity sale or trade sale at 10 million or multiple tens of millions, but they're not venture capital suitable companies at that point because no one's been there at the early stages saying we need this massively risky high growth thing. And obviously people's risk appetite depreciates as the economy contracts. Mm. Yeah. I think it's creating different kinds of companies. And I've heard people say, we don't need to encourage entrepreneurship because uh, during kind of global crises, like all the things we've been through, that creates more entrepreneurs. And yes, it does, but it doesn't create highly ambitious risk-taking entrepreneurs. It creates the kind of uh, entrepreneurs by necessity. And and the ones who are not, who are taking, who are making a more safe journey in, in the products that they're developing. So ultimately, it does stifle innovation because people aren't taking the same sort of risks and they're not going to have these big leaps um, of, of investment. Therefore, they're not going to have these big big leaps of product development mm, into I new, new spaces. So. That's really interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about, uh, you know, the importance of um, uh, the, the government support. And you mentioned a little bit about that sort of startup support. Could you just take us through what is there at the moment and what are we, what are we at risk of losing? We've lost a bit. So uh, AC grants have disappeared, uh, which was a, a wonderful support for certain kinds of companies. The MVP grant in New South Wales has disappeared and then come back, but come back in a smaller form with more red tape around it. Um, the collaboration grants have gone uh, and there's talk of bringing something back, but I'm not sure if that's happening. Um, I think the, the general theme is there's less than there was a couple of years ago under 
all the NISA initiatives in particular that Turnbull uh, started. So the incubator support program and uh, entrepreneurs program and things associated with that. So that was really notable in the creation of new incubators and new kind of support mechanisms for startups. And you can see a, a significant trend in new entrepreneurs, new tech entrepreneurs in particular being created. And the attrition of that through the pandemic was really notable. Uh, I looked at 190 accelerators and incubators around Australia that were running pre-pandemic and then figured out, are they running now? Uh, that was two years ago. Uh, do you want to guess how many disappeared? Oh, I know. That sounds depressing, but let's go there. Yeah, it was 80%. 80% so, of the incubators are gone. Yeah. So incubators and accelerators. So all the people that were writing small checks for really interesting companies or bringing them all together. Mm. So there are some... A smaller number of larger incubators remaining now that have managed to weather the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of university support in particular, because universities, even though they've had disastrous effects from the pandemic, have continued to invest in this because of the importance that they see it having. Uh, but yeah, it's we've been through this great reset of startup support and reduction of a lot of government support as well. And I think there's a, a need now to say, okay, we're in a less interesting place, but we need to make sure it rapidly becomes a more interesting place again. And and funding is, is critical to that because it gives them the, the support at those early stages that then they can springboard and, um, and develop faster. Is that what the funding really is there for at the beginning? I think for a couple of reasons. It's so the IGP, the industry growth program uh, at a federal level is new and will become interesting as it kind of develops more and, and gets deployed. And that will be uh, mentorship and other kinds of support plus some funding support. So I hope that ends up addressing some of the gaps here and it, it promises to. What's the point of having mentorship funding if there's no more mentors that have come through because we've had this lull? Of, of product development, of sort of new startups. You're saying that they've fallen away and we've lost 80% of those incubators. If you have mentors, but there's no mentors to mentor, <laughs> how does that work? That's a, a really interesting question because I can tell people how to do something 20 years ago that I did. And I, I can't tell them how to do something else 20 years ago because I didn't do it. Um, and the speed with which things are moving is, yep. is so fast at the moment. That peer learning is so important and the near peer learning especially. And when you have this kind of reset and everyone goes into more traditional jobs, I think that's a danger. And, and the restart cost of building up different ecosystems in that regional location or wherever else where there was a fledgling community happening uh, is going to be significant as and well. And that's critical, isn't it? Those incubators, those peer support. I mean, you think about any other small business, they've got their associations, they've got almost community groups online that they can talk to, they've got their local business chambers. This is all of that in one place. And you mentioned regional um, incubators as well, how critical they are to get um, a tech community started up in those in those places. We've got a huge diaspora of people leaving the cities, <clears throat> excuse me, moving into regional areas. Um, those tech people need that support and you need that turn, the, the turnover needs to continue happening so that you've got mentors coming through the program as well. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we return with Murray Herps, we're going to be speaking a little bit about um, what is the future looking like um, when it comes to funding and interrelationships with different areas of government. We'll be back after this. 
This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. As Bifio assists, advocates and provides information to Australia's 2.5 million small and family businesses when and where they need it. Aspifio delivers practical and actionable advice and research to governments on how to improve policies and legislation. Since its inception, Aspifio has responded to over 40,000 requests for assistance from Australian small and family businesses and provides access to dispute resolution services, including assistance with disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticulture and oil codes. Aspifio also connects small and family business with mental health support should the need arise. As an independent advocate for small business owners, Aspifio is committed to ensuring that Australia is the best place to start, grow or transform a business now and well into the future. See how Aspifio can support you at asbfeo.gov.au. Welcome back to Small Biz Matters. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and we are speaking with Murray Herbs, who is the Director of Startups at UTS. Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about, well, a kind of a depressing subject about what isn't there anymore in the startup ecosystem. But you've got a huge amount of experience having worked in professional associations on the board, uh, having worked at the university sector, run your own business successfully and helped others through incubators like Fishburners, Murray. Now, with all that experience, you're in a perfect position to really be able to tell the government what is needed to ensure that the you know small business startup space flourishes. Um, is there, a, is there a particular way that you engage with them? Would you like to see better engagement from the government to talk to specifically startups? That would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and what does that formula look like? Because I think, you know, we'd all like to have a minister on the end of the phone. I think you do have a minister on the end of the phone, but do they listen? What is the engagement like? Would you like to see more of that? This is the thing. It's such a complex answer. So, I'm, and I promise I'm going to be more positive. Really? It's not just listen more? Uh, that's the thing. If, if you look at the economic impact of small tech companies, okay? So people say, okay, we've, we're going to create jobs or maybe some exports or whatever else. If you look at the raw numbers of that for tech startups, they don't. So they don't create a couple of jobs, but in the scheme of things across like giant industries, it doesn't compare well. Um, They're not the, a bank. No. And the real economic impact of these tech-enabled companies comes from three things. So it's uh, productivity uplift in existing companies through uh, procurement of new solutions, uh, learning spillovers from people that have worked in a fresh environment and have these new skills, and competitive pressure on banks, etc., to keep them moving forward. So if you are government and looking at how you do different things, there's really obvious levers you can start to pull to increase that impact. Are you procuring from startups instead of large consulting firms or whatever else? What are you doing to increase the mobility of talent to make sure that people are going into these kind of companies, earning interesting skills, and then applying those to different industries if those companies don't work out? Are you driving more risky ventures forward, knowing that, okay, they may not work out by themselves, but they will put pressure on larger organizations to do more mm. and to keep ahead of international competition perhaps better? So this is almost a micro sector of the economy having real macro effects because you talked about the movement of people um, and, and that's important so that we've got a sharing of that knowledge and a sharing of that talent. So in, in itself, the whole startup world is a, a really an incubator for the rest of the economy. 
Absolutely. And this is the history of Australia as well. Uh, I think it was uh, Scott Morrison did a speech about we're a technology adopting nation. And he got criticized badly at the time by a lot of startup people saying, no, we're going to create lots of technology, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if you look at the history of Australia, he was 100% right. That, that speech must have been written by an economist because that's what Australia has done. We take wonderful technologies from around the world, we adopt them, we adapt them, and we create wonderful new exports and, and better companies as a result. And that's what people should get excited about when they look at tech companies in Australia, especially small ones. They are gonna be on the leading edge of what's happening in AI or other technologies. They will be able to disseminate that in a better way than researchers by themselves can or whoever else by themselves. And they will kind of train up, go into large companies or just keep the pressure on the large companies so that they end up deploying those things in really large contexts. Yeah, I, I, and that's really interesting because that's that pressure that they put on them. And I, I'm, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of examples of companies who have come up with great pieces of technology that have made the bigger companies move faster. Let's look at um, Zoom, for example, um, and how that pressured uh, the bigger boys to create their own similar products. And then we had a, a grand innovation happening in that space. I want to talk to you a little bit about the findings of the Startup Master. It's a really important piece of survey work. And you and I both share this passion to make sure that government is using accurate, real data um, and lived experience data. What were some of the key findings that came out of uh, this year's survey? So many things. So uh, I like surprising and actionable things. If you look at a report and kind of ex know what you're going to see and you actually see it, that's a useless report. Uh, <laughs> but it was really cool because this thing, after a five-year period, how things have changed with a pandemic in the middle. And my own assumptions around what would be seen being completely wrong as well. Uh, things like the proportion of people with PhDs running companies, these kind of companies was up, uh, what the numbers, 15% uh, now of startup founders versus 6% five years ago. Have PhDs. Yeah. Remarkable. And maybe that's an exodus from academic environments. Maybe it's more academically heavy companies being started, who knows. Um, emergence of new strengths in terms of uh, green tech, so climate tech kind of things, manufacturing and med tech. But a reduction in fintech, I noticed. Yes. Mm. So fintech has kind of exploded and maybe that's just a little reversion to the mean. I'm just going to put a prediction there and say that the fintech around HR tech is going to explode again now that we've just had the, re, uh, the new IR legislation come through. Yes. It'd be interesting to see how that moves. But it is, it's an, it, it's an indicator of how people are problem solving. Sometimes those problems are produced by the government and then, you know, the, the reg tech that comes after it. But that's an interesting flow on. What are some of the other interesting factoids that came out of uh, the startup muster? Uh, AI. <laughs> I won't dwell on this too much, but AI is everywhere. Um, and it's I'm seeing interesting trends there in how people talk about their companies as well. Uh, at the kind of first boom of AI, people were saying we're doing X with AI and that was what the companies were. And now people are just saying we're doing X and not mentioning AI and saying, you know, it's it's humans doing this kind of thing, augmented by AI maybe, and then replaced quietly by AI. But there's really interesting kind of trends going on there in Ooh. how people talk about what they do and how they integrate AI into things. Um, on a more positive note, the 18% the uh, of startups saying they were driven by profit primarily. So in terms of how they make decisions, that the rest obviously being driven by impact and profit or impact only. 
So there's a, a giant contingent of companies that are or founders that are saying, I'm doing this to create this kind of change in the world or because I want to, really want to solve this problem rather than I just want to make money out of this kind of thing. Is that a generational shift? Because we know, I think most small business owners out there who have started um, employing and trying to employ younger people have noticed that they're doing it for purpose, less for um, money and, and, and satisfaction financially. Yeah, young people these days. Yeah, <laughs> <Young people laughs> these days. This makes me feel worse about myself every day. <laughs> but this, there's a real trend there in uh, which we're seeing a lot of ETS of five years ago, 30% of incoming students wanted to do something entrepreneurial. It's gone up every single year. It's now 57% want to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, the proportion of graduating students that say they're running a startup specifically when they graduate has gone up to now 9.5% of graduating UTS students. Like incredible numbers when we have 8,000 students joining every year. That as a changing work preference is really interesting because- Oh, that makes my heart sing. Yeah, and that's the thing. People say, should we teach ethics or kind of SDGs or other things to all of these companies? We've got 700 companies in UTS startups that we're supporting now. 700? Yes. But what I find is you don't need to teach that. If you have younger people coming through, they already know about SDGs. They have wonderful kind of perspectives on ethics because of the environment they're operating in. They can't not. Um, So having younger people start these companies, I think, creates companies that are more sensitive to the environment they're operating in. I've got a quick question for my bookkeeping friends out there. As part of the startup um, evolution or, or education, do you teach compliance, like how to do a BAS? Or what does GST mean? No, not in, not in my part of UTS. I know other people. So there's do. plenty of work for you out there, BAS agents. Don't worry, all is well. Um, <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about the uh, the way that that startups support, or startup incubators, et cetera, support, but also um, the importance of these macroeconomic indicators that the startup community can provide government with. With all that information floating out there, um, how what what would you expect to see from the government in say the next five or ten years um, to support the community to flourish? Otherwise, what's the risk? We lose people. They go overseas. This is the thing. If you ask people what they want in startups, they'll say, "I want funding, customers, and talent." And if you give them those three things, they'll still say they want those things because it's just a kind of fuel that those companies run on. Mm. So the trick there is don't ask startups what they want. <laughs> because, <laughs> just give it to them. Well. It then becomes kind of obvious what the kind of levers are. And then you have to filter that through a view of what you you in government at the time can get away with. Mm. Like, is it uh, changes to uh, procurement or not getting into trade deals with uh, countries overseas that limit our ability to favor domestic procurement? which is a uh, limitation in- You have mentioned procurement a couple of times and that seems quite critical, yeah. Definitely the uh, kind of incentives for investors and driving uh, more risk-taking in people uh, is an opportunity area. Our giant kind of amounts of savings in super funds, uh, there's obviously a need to generate returns from those savings, but as a kind of pool of money, we've got the largest per capita savings in the world and it doesn't tend to flow into the kind of companies that would make sense in 2023. So there's opportunity there. Uh, The education system in Australia is obviously one of the best in the world. 
but there's opportunity in, I think, the high school space to bring new curriculum in faster uh, and particularly things around entrepreneurship. Uh, so we visit about 100 schools a year um, through UTS startups and do a lot of role modeling of entrepreneurship and supporting people, but that's a drop in the ocean of all the schools around Australia. Um, I think the thing is people like Ed Husick already know what to do. And I think the uh, thing they need is support from everyone in Australia to realize that the future of Australia depends on creating companies that are appropriate to today. Uh, as technology gets better, there is a, a thing called theory of the firm that amongst other things dictates the size of companies. Um, and as technology gets better, transaction costs come down and you end up with a larger number of smaller companies. So that's happening. We've had record company registrations in Australia, America, most parts of the world. It's not a kind of COVID after effect, it's a trend. In that world, we need to realize that, okay, there are going to be more people going to university or not to university and then starting their own companies. Uh, and we need to design our education systems and what we tell our children to do and what uh, we support government to do to say, okay, if 57% of new um, kind of 18 year old UTS students want to pursue entrepreneurship and that's an increasing trend and the technology is there to make that a more sensible thing and they can achieve things they never could before because of technology and they can distribute things to the world in a way they never could before because of technology. Wouldn't you think at some point that becomes a more forceful focus of government and other parts of society to say, yes, we're going to make this a more normal thing and support it? Well, I think that's a fantastic way to end today's discussion. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Murray. Um, tell us where people can find out more if they're interested in a career in entrepreneurship at UTS. Okay. Uh, if you search for UTS startups, uh, again, we've got 700 startups that people can join in. It's all free. We don't take equity. We support people for life. Uh, you just need a UTS person on the team, current or past student, and there's wonderful things going on. Uh, I'll stop there, but uh, please uh, check us out. And also, uh, where can people find out, particularly anybody who's listening who works in government, um, for the fantastic data you found in Startup Muster? Startupmuster.com uh, or search for Startup Muster. It's free. And if you have any questions that aren't answered there, we've got so much more data as well. This uh, reach out. That's some wonderful insights. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Murray. It's been excellent to talk to you. As always, always enjoy these fascinating discussions that you and I have. Now, next week on Small Biz Matters, we're going to be diving into the world of uh, fintech specifically um, as we broadcasted from the Intuit conference, the Get Connected conference for 2023, which was recently held. We had some really interesting interviews talking to um, leading organizations about how they use AI in their um, in their development, in their product development. And we also spoke to uh, a number of uh, people about open banking and how that's going to affect the small business world. So join me next week to hear from those fantastic interviews. I want to thank Murray again for coming on the show. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks so much for joining me.